0: I'm going to go ahead and get started this morning. Uh, Sorry, we'll be at a little shorter time frame just because of the healing service on both sides today, but that's okay. It's a good thing for us to be able to participate in. Uh, Good news is I tried to summarize the lesson today anyway, knowing that would probably happen and we'll still be able to cover a majority of it for sure and get a good outline and purpose for the book of Judges. So let's open in prayer and we'll go ahead and get started for the day. Dear Lord, we thank you for being with us here today. Uh, We pray for all of those who were at our healing service either this morning or will be at our healing service just after this Bible study, that you will, Lord, uh, give each and every one of them just a special dose of your peace and healing that you can provide through your spirit. Open up our hearts and ears now to be able to hear your word and to be able to receive that joy that comes directly from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so chapter 8 today of the story, A Few Good Men and Women is the title, and it basically encompasses the book of Judges from beginning to end. Uh, You remember where we were at when we left off with the book of Joshua, and then the book of Judges, uh, just as our last book does, opens up kind of right on the heels of that. So it does read right into the next section. Uh, So the author of Judges... Uh, technically is unknown. We don't know exactly who it is. A lot of people narrow it down and say Samuel, but to be safe, the best answer is to say it's just unknown. Uh, More than likely, it probably is Samuel, Samuel, but we're not sure. Along with that, the date is unknown. People aren't exactly sure when this book was put together. Obviously, uh, post-Joshua, and sometime potentially in the monarchy or when the kings uh, come to take over after the judges have already uh, come and gone. But the period of judges takes place over uh, a decent amount of years, and so it's hard to figure out exactly who then penned all of these things together. Uh, The book of Judges is also interesting, as we'll get to in a little bit, that not all the stories of the judges are super long in length of being able to share about each of the individual judges that comes, that God sends. Uh, So that's the first blank there. The title, obviously the book is Judges, is taken from the leaders. These are the leaders that God puts in place. So when you hear that word Judges today, uh, a lot of us probably think about maybe a courtroom judge, but really that's not who these individuals are uh, at all. Uh, They're leaders that the Lord brings that are uh, often in a military realm, sometimes it's a political realm, and of course in this uh, regional realm as well. And so God lifts up these different judges to be able to come and to be able to be there with the people and on their behalf. Kind of an interesting note, the judges actually aren't always the best of people. Uh, The judges, sometimes I think we have this image of them of being these great people that were really these champions for the Lord and a piece of that is true, but many of these individuals are pretty sinful too. Uh, A lot of them make a lot of different mistakes and we'll talk briefly about that when we get to some of the uh, major judges. So the book of Judges is broken down into kind of three main sections. Uh, One of the things I found this week that I thought was interesting was a little storyboard that somebody had written out on a whiteboard. So that's your last uh, attachment there. I'll go ahead and bring that up now. I know it's kind of smaller and a little difficult to see. I thought the storyboard was really neat though. It breaks down the entire book of Judges with all the different chapters. So you can see uh, there on the left-hand side where it says chapters, it just says 1-2. That's chapters one and two. It gives us this picture of the very beginning of Judges. And then it takes us all the way through introducing all the different Judges to the very end. So if you want to kind of look at this as we go through, it's very interesting how it breaks down where the people are and where the judges are. Like I said, I know it's a little smaller, uh, but you can look at it later on, look at it today, and uh, you can always find a picture of it blown up online I can send to you too. So that'll kind of break down the sections of uh, the book of Judges. So number Uh, one there where it says section one. It's broken down into three sections. The first one is the prologue. The first one is this prologue. Judges chapter one uh, verses one all the way through three verse six. It kind of gives us a history of where we've been uh, and that's that first blank. Part one of the prologue is historical. Part one of the prologue is historical. So it tells us all about remembering who joshua was remembering the people of israel and the promises that were made for them it kind of sets the stage for the rest of the book giving us a little bit of historical element part two it sets the stage prologue does a great dog historical and then setting the stage So it tells us what has happened, and then it moves into describing what is going to happen, where the people of Israel currently are at. And in this section, we're introduced to the cycle of judges, what happens, and we'll get to that in just a moment. The cycle of judges, how uh, the people enter into this bad time of sin, God brings them all the way back around to a time of peace, and they enter into uh, sin again. That whole cycle is what happens over and over and over again in the main section of Judges. So that's section two, is the main body. Section two, the blank there, is the main body. This is the bulk of the book that we'll look at uh, toward the end of our lesson today. And it's about this cycle that happens over and over and over again. If you were already in the first service or if you're going to the next service, uh, I explained that cycle real briefly. Uh, Let's look at it just more in depth this morning. That's the second attachment that I provided for you today. And it's the uh, section that shows us how the people of God continue through this battle. It begins there on the top with uh, chapter 3 verse 7. And this is exactly what is described in the book of Judges. The people turn from God. And when this happens, it happens in a variety of ways. Most of the time, the people are just simply going against something God has told them what to do. If you look in the beginning of the book of Judges and right here, God has told the people of Israel that he wants them to push out the rest of the Canaanites from the land. There's a lot of Canaanites that are still living there when the people go into the promised land. And God says, wipe them out. Not kill them, but push them out of the land. They need to be gone. Again, he does this for a reason. He says, if you do not do this, you will inherit all their different behaviors. You will inherit all their different gods. You will intermingle and things will not go well. You are not going to be a positive reinforcement on them. They are going to be a negative impact on you. But the people don't do it. They take the people there of of Cana and they start intermingling with them. Some of them, they oppress and they try to turn into slaves. Some of them, they begin, uh, again, just receiving their own people into their own families and start intermingling and taking on their own characteristics. And the worst part about it is they take on all their false gods. And they do this over and over and over again. And when this happens, when they take on their false gods, God says, okay, if this is what you want, if you want to choose these other gods, then I am going to send these judges unto you to be able to put you in this place of, well, bringing you back to me. So every time the people choose this bad behavior, they get sucked into their own lives. That's uh, three verse eight there. God judges by delivering them into their hands of their enemies. He allows them to be taken over. Then the people realize everything's not going great, right? They repent to God. The people turn back to God in Judges three verse nine. God sends that judge just as he promised. And then the people enter into this realm of peace. But then they start over again. And you would think, why did they do that? But it just it just happens. The judge will be there, and then when the judge dies and passes on, they forget about all those gifts that God has given to them. They're just used to the promised land and how great it is, and they want more. They want something different, and so they fall into these lands of sin. And this is the cycle of judges that you will see with every single one of the judges. In the main body, it happens over and over and over again. All right, we'll come back to that in just a minute of the main body. Let's move on to section three. This is the very end. This is the epilogue I entitled it. Section three is the epilogue. So this focuses on all that corruption that they have had as individuals and as cities and as tribes. It talks about how bad the people have been and all the things that have been pronounced down upon them. Uh, it wraps up pretty simply. It's just a few chapters, uh, but it really does kind of summarize the, the book at the end there. All right, so let's come to the judges then in the time that we have uh, left and kind of talk a little bit about them today. All right, so if you read through the book of Judges, there are 12 total judges that God sends. There are 12 individuals that God sends. Out of these judges are labeled uh, six major judges. So obviously, if you do the math, there's six minor judges. Uh, I wrote them down there for you. Some of the minor judges, maybe you've never even heard their names before. Maybe you know Elon because you heard the word Elon Musk before, that's about it. The other ones, <laughs> probably not so much any, anymore. But here's, uh, here's some of these individuals. Now, these are minor judges because we don't have a whole lot that's written about their story. Uh, I'm pretty sure that out of these minor judges, I think one of them just has two verses that's written about them, literally two verses. I think Shamgar has one verse that's written uh, about him in the Bible. That's it. He's still a judge that's there, but it's literally one verse. I think it says that he uh, takes a piece of a donkey, and then he slays 600 individuals, and that's it. That's all we're told about him, nothing else. So super small pieces that are that are in there. And then uh, we move on to the major judges then. So here's the list of the major judges. Uh, You've probably seen these guys before. Uh, The first three, uh, you probably know Deborah the best out of each of these. And then out of that, you probably know these other ones maybe a little bit more, uh, especially Gideon and Samson. So I just want to look at the three stories of Gideon Japheth and Samson. So the first one, Gideon, takes place in Judges 6 through 9. Uh, Gideon's really this this coward. He makes a lot of excuses, uh, but he finally comes to trust in God after he tests him, after he tests God. He has this set of tests. If you remember uh, Gideon's story, he says, hey Lord, I'm going to put this fleece out, and if it's really you, I want you to make the fleece Uh, super wet, but all the ground around it dry, and then I'll know. And he wakes up and he takes the fleece and he wrings it out and water comes out of it. It's just, it's soaked. And then he says, well, I don't know if that was really you, God. Now I want you to do the opposite of this. How about you make the fleece completely dry and all the ground around it will be wet. And God does that. And I always find that so interesting that this is one of the judges that God has selected. And again, He's talking to God and putting these requests into God, and something comes true, but he says, I don't know. You know, was that really you, God, or was it just something else in the world occurring? Do it again. And God is patient with him, and he does it again. Uh, we hear those stories over and over again in Scripture with God being so patient for his, uh, with his people. The story of Gideon, too, you probably know his story because he's the one who defeats the large group of Midianites, uh, with only 300 men uh, remember he's got a pretty good sized army and God narrows it down and then God narrows it down again uh, this is the text in which the men are all supposed to go and drink at the water's edge and the ones that are lapping up water uh, like a dog he says you know get rid of those ones but the ones that take their cup with their hand and they cup it into their mouth and they're being aware those are the ones I want you to take and it's only a small amount of individuals and he grits these guys and then he goes and then these warriors don't even necessarily serve as the warriors we would think with a spear and with a shield God gives them a trumpet and a pot to be able to take and they blow the trumpets and they break the pots and the many knights are all confused by God and they actually end up battling each other and slaying each other Uh, But this is another good example of being able to rely upon God. I do want to look at a couple scripture passages today. So let's look at Judges uh, chapter 7, verses 2 to 3. This is in the story of uh, Gideon. I thought this one was interesting. We actually talked a little bit about it at men's Bible study this last Wednesday morning. Uh, Judges chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. How funny is that, right? Did you ever play the game of risk before or the game of checkers and think, oh, I have too many men, I have too many checkers, I'm in too good of a spot to be able to win this game. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, Announced now to the people anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave. Think about that. So Israel won't boast and say, we had all these men. They were so strong. We had such a good army. We went in there and we took out all these Midianites. So that won't happen. God says, I want you to rely upon less and less of who you are and more and more of who I am. And isn't that a neat story in the place of Gideon that we can take with us today, right? Not constantly relying upon ourselves and upon our strength in any way, but constantly always remember that we rely upon God. He tells us that the battle is his and that he will always win those battles for us, and he does so with Gideon. The next major judge that's there, Japheth, uh, this is in Judges 10 through 12, He's this very uh, successful warrior that actually has been driven out. That's the blank there. He was driven out by his people, that he's like this uh, outcast. They don't want him to have any inheritance of anything, and so they push him away. And he goes and he lives kind of on the outskirts of town in the mountainous region until he's called upon by the Israelite judges to be able to come back. Uh, they need him to be able to fight their battles. And they go to him, and he even says, You know, didn't you guys kick me out? And they said, Yeah, it, you can even, when you read it in the text, they're kind of like, Yeah, we know you kicked you out, but we, re- we really need you right now to come and, and fight with us. They just, they just jump right, right over it. And he says, Fine, I'll come, and I'm going to fight for you. But uh, maybe just to look at some of these judges and how awful they were. Uh, I want to show this example of Judges 11, verse 34. Uh, You'll probably remember this story. This judge prays to the Lord and says, If you give me a victory, I'm going to sacrifice to you the first thing that comes to my door when I return home. That's what I'm going to do. And he returns home in verse 34. It says, When uh, Japheth returned to his home and Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of the tamarinist? She was only a child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. This is a, a horrible story, but there's some interesting clarity that's provided in this, this passage, You may look at this and hear this and think, why would he do this sacrifice? Why would would the Lord allow this? But he really isn't allowing this at all. This is a, a pact that Japheth is making to himself. Now notice in that text that it says that that's his only daughter. He doesn't have any children. And the pact that he makes with the Lord is, I will sacrifice whatever comes to my door as soon as it shows up. Who did he think was going to come to his door? He doesn't have any other kids. He's not talking about the family pet or something like that. He is making a pact for child sacrifice. And unfortunately, this is something that he adopted from the people of Cana that were around him to be able to take on these horrible behaviors. We talked about that last week, how they would actually commit child sacrifice to their false gods. He still doesn't have to do this. Even when his daughter shows up to the the door Uh, dancing That sounds weird, I know, but that was actually typically uh, a greeting that kids would give to their parents, that they were excited and that they would come out uh, dancing uh, to their parents. But he doesn't have to do this, but he does. He follows through and he sacrifices his daughter. Remember, this is one of the judges that God has selected and it shows how bad a lot of these individuals are. Our next judge is no different. Samson in Judges 13 verse 16 probably the best known of all the judges Uh, his birth is foretold by an angel of the Lord and it's said that he's going to be set apart from God that's the blank there set apart that he's going to be this Nazarite that he's not supposed to touch any dead things Uh, he's not supposed to have a razor touch his head not cut his hair in any way that he's not supposed to have any bad drink he's supposed to really be dedicated specifically to the Lord. And if you know the story of Samson, it's up and down and up and down. He too does a lot of things that are not uh, according to the Lord's work or according to his will. He's very promiscuous. Uh, He's not the smartest of all the judges, it would seem. But the Lord still works through him. The Lord still uses him in a variety of ways. Uh, So the passage I have selected there comes from the book of Judges, chapter 16, verse 28. And you'll know this story pretty good. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me, O God. Please strengthen me just once more, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes." Remember at the end of Samson's life, uh, he's been overtaken again. He doesn't have his strength. He's always relied upon his physical strength, and it's gone. But in these final moments of his life, he begins to recognize once again that his strength actually comes from God. And he says, so God, give me that strength one more time so I'm able to do this. And even somebody not as great as Samson or as Deborah or as Gideon, or any of these other names, God still uses them. He uses them to be able to save the people around him, and he uses them to be able to accomplish his will. Don't get caught up if you go back through this book of when it says, you know, the spirit came upon these people. It says that for Samson and different individuals, that is God doing that. That doesn't mean that God is approving of all of their behaviors. That doesn't mean that God is telling them to do certain things. There's plenty of things in the book of the Judges that the people do, the judges even themselves, that are not, not the will of God, that are actually against the will of God. But the Lord still remembers them. We heard in that verse today that even when they are faithless, he is always faithful. I'm going to have to wrap up there today. I apologize for it being a little quicker, I got to run over to the next service. Uh, Email me if you have any questions this week, and uh, thanks for being here today.